notes one more time. Yeah, I'm not fired. <laughs> Hey bro, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Can't do that. Yeah. You know what else made a comeback? Hashtag Jesus. Hashtag Lazarus. Hashtag short term comeback. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else made a comeback? <laughs> you know what else made a comeback? <laughs> <laughs> Never gonna get this recorded. You know what else made a comeback? Nah. <laughs> Beethoven? <laughs> Please? <laughs> you know what else made it come back? Mike Tyson. <laughs> 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 hashtag breadcrumbing, hashtag Hansel and Gretel, hashtag evil witch! Hashtag Red Crumman, hashtag Hansel and Gretel, hashtag Evil Witch! Hashtag Red Crumman, hashtag Hansel and Gretel, hashtag Evil Witch! <laughs> we'll never get old. <laughs> when I get old. She said she said, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. Take you out. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So good. Yeah. Awesome. Can we just start over? Let's yeah, just start let's over. do it. Well, for those of you who asked if we did it in one take, yes, we did, one after the other for hours and for days, okay? Uh, nothing works out the first time, nothing works out right the way you want or hope or plan, but we laughed so hard making that. I uh, wish you could have been in the office with us as we did that, and um, hope you enjoyed uh, our silliness and our fun over the past uh, couple of weeks. So we've been in this series called Hashtag and really looking at the idea of social media, uh, really not just social media, but how we live our lives with this sense of being influenced by and following other people. And for us, social media has become a normal part of everyday communication. For those who were over 40, we have had to learn to make that a part of our lives or just push it away and say it will never be. But for those who are younger than that, it just is what we use. It is uh, what we communicate with and how we talk to the world and talk to one another. We find ourselves messaging through apps instead of just talking through conversations. And so social media has really taken the world by storm, and it's how we communicate and talk. And it's, it's really gone far beyond, in my opinion, far beyond just a communication method. It has moved itself into this sense of being a powerful tool to garner and display influence. It's this thing that we use that we want to get more influence from people or we use to show our influence that we already have among a certain group of people to the point where in, in the world today we have this idea that there's a certain group of people who are known as the influencers and their influence is spread even further and faster because of the genesis and the birth of social media. That these people are the people that we look to and we, we put our eyes to that they wear the right things and they, they say the right things and they dress the right way, they go to the right places, they hang out with the right people. 
people. They use the right products. And so we find ourselves being influenced by those people. And you and I take part in that as well. We share on social media. And I think what we do when we share the stories of our family and the pictures of our kids and the, the moments of our achievements, we're not just sharing those moments I think in doing so, we're wanting people to look at us and to, to say, I want to follow them, not just their story, not just their days, not just their moments, but their lives as well. Because I think all of us crave acceptance. All of us want to wield some type of influence, even if we wouldn't speak it out loud. All of us desire to do something, be somewhere, wear something, or act a certain way, and that have influence over and in other people's lives. Even if we're not willing to say that publicly, all of us desire and crave to either be accepted or be accepted and have others want to be in and a part of our lives and influenced by them as well. So there's a, a man named Jonah Berger. He's a marketing professor and an author. He does social experiments on, on these human interactions that we have with one another. And so he researches this and, and spends time looking at those human interactions that we have and the social cues that exist in our society today. And so he tells a story about the genesis of one of his books called Invisible Influence. He was in Washington, D.C. visiting his family. And as he's there, he's telling his dad about this new research project on this idea that we have influence that we have with each other and it's invisible. It's not really spoken or tangible, but it just permeates throughout our society socially as we have interaction with one another. And his dad spoke up very quickly. He said, yes, we're all influenced way too easily. And he said, Dad, what are you talking about? And he said, everybody in D.C. who's a lawyer that ends up becoming a partner immediately goes out and purchases a BMW because they want to be identified and have influence over other people to say, look, I'm partner. I have a BMW. And Jonah Berger looks at his father and says, Dad, you're a D.C. lawyer and you drive a BMW. And his dad goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I drive a blue one. They all drive gray ones, right? All of us, all of us are so quick to point out how we've been influenced by social cues, how we've been changed and we've adapted to human interaction and influence, but we're so slow to notice it in ourselves. All of us can point out how other people have been changed by the people they hang out with or the things that they watch or the things that they choose to associate themselves with. But we are extremely slow and naive at seeing those very same influences in our own lives. And so today, I want to flip this a little bit. We've been talking about who have you been listening to, who have you been following. But today, I want us to realize something else, that if we're following other people, that it means other people are probably, possibly following us as well. And so I want to ask you today, what are you doing with that influence? How are you using that opportunity? Because all of us at some point in our lives, in some way, small or large, all of us have some type of influence. And so we have people that are following us and watching us. And for parents, it's your kids. And for parents of kids, it's your kids who are older watching other kids and teaching your kids that other kids are following and watching them. As people who are in the world as adults and living lives and trying to raise families and work at jobs that our employees or our peers are watching us. Other families at the ball field are watching how we react when our kid gets called out or when the coach doesn't play them in a pivotal moment in the game. And so my question today is, as people follow us and watch us, my question for us is, what will their lives look like because, because they chose to follow yours? 
See, our lives have been affected by and look different because of the people we choose to follow. But we sometimes forget that how we choose to live our lives has effect, direct result on how other people choose to live theirs as well. And you say, no, 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 not me. I don't have any influence. I'm not significant. I'm, I'm not special. I'm not anybody. I don't own anything. I don't run anything. I don't have a group of people around me. I haven't created anything that people would say is significant. But I would say that all of us have some type of influence. Even if it's small, even if it only reaches one or two people, all of us have influence. And Paul, the apostle, one of the men who followed after Christ, understood this and spoke directly to the church at Rome, which was an influential city and an influential church. And his writing to them, he tells them this. He says, for no one lives to himself and no one and none of us die to himself. That none of us live in, in this sense that we're in a bubble, we're in a vacuum. None of us live devoid of human interaction. All of us have interaction with other people that causes them to think differently, behave differently, begin to have a different worldview and perspective on life that all of us have influence over someone else because we no longer live to ourselves anymore. And that's especially true for those of us who are Christians. And we hear in our world, hey, you do you and I'll do me. But there is a flawed philosophical foundational belief in that type of statement. Because we don't live in that vacuum. You can't do you and let me do me because what I do affects you and what you do affects me. We cannot live separate from one another. We live interacted, socially connected with one another. Even if it's not on social media, day to day you and I live. Think about it. How are generations brought up to believe similar to one another even though they live thousands of miles apart? Millennials are the same no matter where you go. And we love you very much. And we have to tell you all the time we love you. And you're special. And you're valuable. Because the truth is you are. Really, you are. But all of us are affected by other people and in turn affect those who are around us and are following us as well. And so there's something flawed in that statement. We can't just say, hey, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. Because we are affected by and influenced by one another, which means we have influence over other people around us. And so for those of us that are believers... Those of us who say that God has changed our lives, that we now follow Christ and submit to him, we, we can no longer say, you do your thing, I'll do mine, because we realize this influence that we have, that we're called to have, that we don't live for ourselves, that we've surrendered, we've submitted to our lives, which means we live for Christ and we live according to his purpose and according to his plan that God has set forth from the beginning of time. He's put that in us so we can't say, God, you do your thing in the world, I'll do my thing in the world. Because we don't live to and for ourselves anywhere, and we don't, we don't see the world the way we used to see the world. Paul says that later on. He says, we don't see people with physical eyes anymore. We see them with spiritual eyes, that we see through the eyes and the mind of Christ, that we see people in need, in need of love and care, that our lives are supposed to interact with theirs, and our lives are supposed to influence theirs, because our lives are filled with the life of Christ, and how dare us stay away and stay distant from people who need that influence in their lives. You with me? Or is this one already hurting a little bit? So Jesus teaches this very same idea and understanding and concept. If you've been in church before, it's very similar. It's in the section called uh, the, the Beatitudes, which is this idea of being beyond happy, being content in this life that God has called us to. And he says this of us in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And we understand the idea of salt, right? It does two things. It seasons and it preserves. That's, the, that's what salt does. 
It brings this additive value to the things of the world. It makes our potato better. It makes our meat last longer. It accomplishes those things, and without salt in the world, our food would not taste as good as it tastes. Our bodies may not be as big as they are, but the food would not taste as good as it tastes. That one hurt too. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to step on toes there. But Jesus says that for all of us as disciples, who our lives are no longer ours anymore, that our lives are to bring additive value, that our lives are to be of substance. We're to bring this value into the world and in our interactions. Where we work, where we live, and where we play. Every day, all day long, we are to bring this value to people. We're people who are living out the kingdom of God, which is kept in heaven, but is brought forth through us as we live in the world. That as we are here in these relationships, as we're here in these moments with people, we bring this value to a conversation or to a relationship or to a society or to a, philo- a philosophical idea or to a, a worldview. That we're to bring value to a culture. We're to add to, Paul says later, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Which means when you talk among one another, that you should bring value, you should bring substance to the conversation. Not intellect and knowledge, but you're bringing this love and this care that's not seen anywhere else in the world. But because you're a believer, because God has called you out and sent you back into the world, that you're to bring this substance and value into all of those conversations. He says you're to be the salt of the earth. And unfortunately, if we're not living with this type of influence, if we're not living with bringing value to our conversations, to our workplaces, if people don't go, man, I'm so blessed because you're a part of my life, not because you gave me anything, but because you love me different than people love me, because you show me grace in ways that I don't ever get at work, because being around you and your family is different. I can't explain it. I don't know what it is yet. But you do something to me and for me that I can't tangibly put my hands on yet. And I can't really speak what it is. But I know it's different. I know it's different enough that it adds value to my life every time I'm with you. And Jesus says, but if you're not living that way, then you've lost that ability to preserve life and conversation. You've lost that ability to add value to. And when you have lost that, then it's just tossed out. And it becomes the ground under which people walk. And when you and I walk along the day and along our path and along the road, we, we very rarely give any value to what is beneath our feet. We just simply walk and don't even notice what is there. And so when we do, when we're tossed out, we've lost our influence. And Jesus very clearly says we're to be people of influence. Not to have high positions in political realm or to be great CEOs who own every business in town or to win every award possible. But we're to be placed in these pockets in our community as outposts of the gospel where people know there's something different here. There's something different in this house. There's something different with these people. And so when we are tossed on the ground, we've lost our ability to do what God in Christ has called us to do. He continues in the next verse. He says, you're to be a light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
And he said, you don't hide this, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand, they sit it out, and it gives light to all the house. Where there was darkness, this light brings this, this idea of light to the world and to the home and to the community. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says, you're supposed to be a light. And I think we knee-jerked from, hey, we're not supposed to go picket things that are bad, to saying, we'll just stay back here. The world, you do you and I'll do me. We'll go to heaven and maybe you'll figure it out. I won't offend anybody because we live in a society where everybody's offended by everything we say, do, or wear. That we just say, it's safer for me just to back up. And Jesus says, no, you're supposed to step into the darkness. I've called you out of darkness so that you could go back and bring people through this darkness and show them light because I'm living in you and through you. The kingdom of God is not just in heaven. It's here because you're here. That you are the light of the world. You're like, whoa, hold up, hold up. Jesus is the light of the world. I'll just be like this mini light, right? Jesus says, no. You're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Jesus is the light, but you are the light in this world. And you say, I, I, can't, I, I can't be light. How can I be that? I, I know I have darkness in me. I know I've messed up. I know I've made mistakes. I know just yesterday I screwed up. I, I can't. How can I be light? How can I step into somebody's darkness and go, look, I'm bringing light to you and acting like I don't have any darkness? Jesus said, you don't have to act like you don't have anything wrong with you. You just say, I have this light in me and I'm bringing this light because this light was placed in my life. I lived in a house of darkness. I lived in a place of destruction and despair and everything I tried just ended in ruin and every, every job I had was broken and every relationship was just ruined. And then all of a sudden I'm at Christ and this light comes into me and everything's different. I can see where I could not see before. Everything that I had tunnel vision on and thought was gonna bring me happiness, I realize now because light has been shined on those corners and those dark places that they could never fulfill what I hoped they would fulfill. And you two are to go back into where you work, live, and play and be that light to the world. You say, how can I do that? Well, Jesus says in John chapter 8, in case we're asking that question, Jesus spoke to them saying, he says, I'm the light of the world. You got that right. But whoever chooses to follow me does not walk in darkness any longer, but you have the light of life. I've given it to you. You didn't do it for yourself. That's why we don't live these good works so that people see us. We don't post these things on social media so people follow our family, but so they see the works of God in and through us. And when they see that, they'll praise him and not us. And so Jesus says, you do, you have, you've been called out of darkness to rescue you, to save you. But I didn't call you out of darkness to take this light you've got and just hide it over here so it's safe and nobody gets mad at you, nobody gets frustrated. I gave it to you so that you could walk back into those dark places, into those school systems, are just filled with darkness. Into the political halls, locally, regionally, globally. So that you can be my gospel outpost, light shining in a dark place. Where darkness tries to reign all day, every day. In the places where kids are abused and neglected and abandoned. That you step into those hard places. And you don't come in as the superhero or the rescuer. But you say, I have the light of the world that's in me, and I'm bringing this light into this kid's life. And together, as we bring that into our community, people begin to see more clearly than they've ever seen before. I mean, it's very clear from Scripture and from Christ that you and I are called and commanded to be people of influence. 
Not for ourselves, not for status, not for power. But I think, I honestly think you and I get that. I think we understand the social cues and human interaction and how that works. And I think you and I know that we're supposed to be people of influence. I, I, don't, I don't think that's the question, because deep down I think we know what that looks like and what that means. I, I think this is the issue of whether or not we want to live lives of influence versus lives of affluence. I, I think that's the real issue for a lot of us. And I don't just mean affluence by tangible things. I just mean making my life better, making my life easier, bringing things to me, laying things down in front of me, giving to me. Because those two, while sometimes can coincide with one another, very often are different. That sometimes influence in a certain group of people means that we let go of the things of the world when we see them from a kingdom perspective. When we see them from a worldly perspective, those two go hand in hand. We want to get influence so that we can get affluence. As a kingdom perspective, we say, I'm going to sacrifice all of the affluence, all the things that are for me, about me, and to me, because this world was created for, about, from, to, for Christ. And so I want to have influence in people's lives, not by the things that I have, but the life that I live, the love that I show, the care that I give to people who may see me as weak and small and less than, but who undeniably cannot say our life does not bring value to theirs. After interacting with us, spending time with us, they have to come to a place that even if they disagree, they have to acknowledge you have brought substantive value to my life in this moment because of your care and concern and genuineness in your life and the life you have shown and displayed to me. And so Jesus gives this charge to his people. You are to be people of influence. Paul already said, you have influence. Even if you think it's small, you and I have influence. And Jesus said, you and I are commanded to use that influence for him and for his good and for his glory in the world. And so, but he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't say this is what you are to do and doesn't show us how to do it. He actually told us how to do it before he gave us the command and the charge. This is the part that's connected with the Beatitudes. And we don't really read a lot of Scripture in a row and then come back and explain it. We usually break them down in a couple of verses at a time. So I'm going to ask you don't fall asleep on me. We're going to read a few in a row, and then we're going to come back and tackle them together. Okay, this is what Jesus says. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacekeepers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who, when others revile you and persecute you and utter evil kinds of things against you and falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad in these things, for your reward is great in heaven. Not here on earth, but great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus lays out this seemingly just unachievable moral ethic. I can't do that. It seems aspirational more than attainable. Like, how can I be all of those things? How can I be a person of influence? How can I be salt and light in this world? I can't live that way. Jesus says, look, you're the light of the world because I brought light into you. 
And so he tells us that we're blessed because we're poor in spirit. It doesn't mean like poor in riches or tangible things. It doesn't mean we're, oh, woe is me, Eeyore, a mat that people walk on. What Jesus was saying here is that blessed are those who understand that we are poor in spiritual things. That we're bankrupt before God. That when we compare ourselves to one another, we might be richer than 90% of the world. But when you stand it up against Daddy Warbucks, you got nothing. You got nothing. You can bring him nothing. We understand our inability. We understand our bankruptcy. He says, blessed are those who aren't saying, look at me, look at all I have, look at all I've done. But who realize their need for God who's greater than anything in the world. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Because we are poor in spirit and because we realize our bankruptcy, we mourn over the loss of relationship with God. And once we have a relationship with him, we mourn because we have grieved his spirit. Because we have acted out of line from our father. So blessed are those who mourn, who desire that forgiveness and that healing that only God could bring. He says, blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are gentle, who are kind, who don't use their position for their own agenda and their own affluence, but for those who use the position of being the light of the world to humbly bring light to other people, even if they're not noticed in the process. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who have this craving and this desire for rightness and for goodness and not leaning on our own righteousness because we realize in being poor in spirit that we cannot be righteous by ourselves. And so in turn, we hunger for God's righteousness. You have to fill me. I can't walk into work and be salt and light today. Like it's not happening. I know myself. And so, God, I need to fill myself with you. I'm hungry for your righteousness because I wouldn't respond this way. I wouldn't love this way. I wouldn't care for people this way. I can't stand on my good standing because it's not enough. I know me. And so I hunger for you to be more of me than I was before. He continues and says, blessed are those who are merciful. Those who display and show mercy and grace to other people. Not because we say, look at me, because we have been shown mercy and grace by our Father from the beginning. And how could we not offer that to someone else who has offended us in such a smaller way than how we have offended God? He says, blessed are those. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, who all of their life, even though they're not perfect and no one is and no one claims to be or should claim to be, all of their life is wrapped up in this idea, this sense of wholeness and holiness and purity. Because their life is upright. It's above reproach. And when it's not, it's confessed quickly. Like, I messed up. I made a mistake. I want my heart to be right and to be pure, that people don't question my motives or my agenda or my actions. That when we do, people show us grace because they know our heart is pure and right and true. And Jesus says, blessed are those people. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. That one hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> like I was doing okay until that one. Blessed are those who don't just walk into a situation, drop a grenade and walk off and say, told you so. Because that's easy at work. 
That's easy at family reunions. That's easy in difficult situations. But Jesus says, if you want to be an influencer, if you want to be salt and light and bring additive value to a conversation and situation, you don't blow it up just to say, I told you so. You work with people to say, how can we make this right with one another? How can I show you grace and love? And still holding the truth and still telling and saying what I believe is right, but doing it in a manner that's peaceful, that brings calmness to the situation. That says, look, I don't agree, you don't agree. Let's sit here until we find something that we can work through and admit that we have different views, but we're still people and we're going to choose to love each other over the situation. Bring this sense of peace to their world. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Those who remain faithful till the end, even when things get difficult. Even when you're lashed at, abused, talked about, ridiculed, second-guessed, questioned. Blessed are those who will stand for me. You say, you can do whatever you want to me, talk about me, fire me, let me go, run from me, desert me. I'm standing here because I realized from the very beginning I'm poor in spirit and if I leave Christ, I have nothing left. And I realize you're not persecuting me. You're persecuting the God that's in me and the God that's in this world. Because all of us at the very beginning, when we have this recognition that maybe there is a God in the world, the first reaction we have is to be defensive and fight back. And so I get it. You're just fighting back against the call and the draw of God in your life in this situation. And I represent him physically in front of you. And so it's natural that you're just going to attack me and persecute me. And I get it. I don't take it personal. Because it's not even about me. It's about him and it's about you. And God says, blessed are those. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted and stand even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult. Even when you want to run. And so you and I are called to live these lives of influence that look different than how we used to live, that look different than the rest of the world lives, and unfortunately looks different than most of the self-proclaiming Christians in America live. Because we have this idea that we want to be a little bit different, but not too different, right? Because we don't want to be ostracized, but we also don't want to be bland, which is, which is this idea, I'll show you this idea called optimally distinct. And we live in that world, which is not too different and not too similar. And so we kind of look like everybody else, but we have a little different version and flair on our lives. However, Christ has called us to be radically different. Not just a little different, not just a little similar, but radically, completely. The word is shine light into these dark spaces. We're to bring salt and substantive additive value into these places where we work, where we live, where we play. We're to be influencers in the spheres that God has given us. That's a platform for us. We don't have it because we were good enough to attain it. God has blessed us with it so that we can bring light into that space in a way that nobody else in the world can. And if we don't live out that influence in that moment, we lose our usefulness and toss to the ground. And maybe this morning, you say, I don't know how I can live that life. I know I'm commanded to do it. I know I'm called to do it. I know Jesus even showed me how to do it. I just don't think I can. 
I don't think it's in me to be an influencer. Let me show you one more verse, 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says his divine power has been granted to us all things. Everything that pertained to life, a life of influence, and living a life of godliness in the world. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. That God has not just brought us out and given us salvation. He's given us the ability to live this life of influence and godliness for him in a way that shows his glory and shows his excellence. That we can live in concert with his moral ethic. We didn't have the ability before, but with Christ in our lives, we have the ability to be salt and light. And we have the ability to live, to be peacemakers, to be merciful, to be persecuted and stand and remain firm, to be poor in spirit and to mourn over our loss so that we can be that salt and light he's called us to. He says, I've given you everything, all things that you need to live this life. I just need you to do it. And the question again is, those people who choose to follow you, What would their life look like? Because they chose to follow yours. According to Christ, it's supposed to be valuable because you brought that value through Christ into the world and the places where you work, where you live, and where you play. The question for you and I is, are we taking that opportunity to live a life of influence or are we comfortable living our lives of affluence? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for... um, the life of Christ that lives where I cannot. That when I fail, when I fall short, that Christ has been and has given and filled everything that I need to stand holy and righteous before you. That everything that I could ever want to present to you or need to show you or give to you that I have failed so many times, Jesus says, I am enough. And so, Father, help me, help us to realize that Christ is not just enough for me, but he's enough for my world. And he's called me and equipped me and sent me to go back out and to be that light in the dark places I was rescued from. Father, I pray this morning you'd help all of us to take stock on our lives of the things we're trying to attain to or chase after the ways in which we use our time and our workplace. The way we live our lives in the community you've planted us in. And God, for a lot of us, redirect our eyes. Redirect our focus. Because God, you know, we get caught up in just living for us and living in the moment. And we forget that we've been planted and sent to bring value and life and light and hope to the world. And you have sent us as the light of the world to shine, to be salt, to be people of influence, not for our kingdom, but for yours. And so God, help us to live the life you've called us to. We ask in the power, the ability, and the equipping of Christ. His name we pray, amen.